Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. It is an honor to share with you. We are in a series called What is God Like? And we've had Peter share two of the attributes the last few weeks um, with a with Mitko in between, and Mitko is amazing, right? So my, my, I get to talk to you today, and I want to just share with you, a, a few weeks ago I was reading a book, and the author's name is Irene Hannon, and the book was called An Eye for an Eye. And in it, a paragraph, I'm going to read you a paragraph from it that just jumped out at me, and it, and it just struck me, and, it's, and the paragraph is this. Uh, I should backstory. So there's an FBI agent, and it's kind of a love story, but FBI thing. And so anyway, that's the book. And so this FBI agent, sorry, I've got to give you some background. So this FBI agent says, or uh, he's thinking, for a brief moment, he considered praying. He was that desperate. But in his 12 years um, with the FBI, he'd seen too much. Somewhere in the blood and gore and man's inhumanity to man, he'd lost touch with the loving, compassionate God of his youth. Yet he's never needed divine intervention more than at this moment. And the reason it struck me is because for me, the picture of God from my youth was not that. Okay, I don't know if I can do this correctly. This is my picture from my childhood of what I thought God was like. Now, not Jesus, because I learned at a little vacation Bible school down the street. I got to walk seven houses down to this lady's front yard. And I learned Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten, or God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. But all I focused in on was that Jesus died for me. My picture of God was one of fear and trembling. And in my teen years, I went to, with a friend to a, a church that was showing a movie that displayed what happens in the tribulation, according to them. And you don't want to be left behind because hell is where you go. And so for me, the picture of God was one of a judge and one of a wanting justice and ready to bring the hammer down. That's who I saw God as. And in the Bible, we see that, and we were singing these songs today. Is there an echo, Peter? It sounds really, sorry. It's like bouncing back at me and feels weird. Um, so in the Bible, we learn there's lots of names for God. There's, and I started, to, I started to list them all, and then I Googled it, and it's like, if there's over 100. I can't, we don't have time this morning. So... There are a few, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. That's powerful, right? El Onai, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord the Master. But then there's a different set of names. Jehovah Nisa, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Jireh, 
the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. That displays a very different aspect of God. And so we come to the passage where we, are, we take our, um, yes, we, our sermon series is out of this passage. Sorry, I must be fuddled there for a second. And the picture is, this passage comes from a place in the Bible where God has chosen his people. These are the people, the Israelites. And Moses goes up the mountain to finalize the marriage contract between the people and God. And they've already messed up. They've already kind of, you know, they made the calf and they did some stuff and it was really bad. And Moses comes up and says, God, show me who you are. Like, I, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to lead these people. I need to know who you are. And God says, this is who I am. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I'd love to unpack that last part because for a long time I believed that what I did meant God was going to punish my children, but that's not what it means, and I don't have time to explain that today. So, but today I get to share with you the first attribute, the God of compassion. He is a compassionate God. See, I, I got an amen from somebody's phone. <laughs> and um, we, we talked about the fact that the Bible Project, if you don't know what the Bible Project is, it's an amazing um, it's website, podcast, videos that they do. And so we're going to watch the Bible Project's depiction of the God of compassion. Do I have to do something? Okay. Maybe. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. The very first word used in this description of God is compassionate, or in Hebrew, rachum. This word also appears as a noun, rachamim, or compassion. And what's fascinating is that both of these words are related to the Hebrew word for womb, rechem. So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is centered on a person's core, and the word invites us to imagine a mother's tender feelings for her vulnerable infant. So rahum is a word that conveys intense emotion. Sometimes it's even translated as deeply moved, like in the story of King Solomon, who meets two women who've just given birth. One of their babies sadly dies, but then both women claim that the baby still living is theirs. 
As a test, Solomon says to cut the baby in two and give each mother a half. And the baby's real mother is deeply moved. She would rather the other woman take her baby than see her child die. And it's her compassion that reveals that she's the true mother. But rahum isn't just an emotional word. It also involves action. And surprisingly, the word is used most often to describe God's actions motivated by his emotions. Like when the Israelites are suffering and oppressed in Egypt, God hears their cries and is compelled by his compassion, his rachamim, to rescue them. Then, as the Israelites travel through the dangerous wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty. And God is Rahum, caring for them as his own child. He provides everything they need, food, water, and clothing, as he personally guides them. So it's no surprise that when Yahweh reveals his character to the Israelites in the wilderness, he begins by saying he's compassionate. But despite Yahweh's continual rachamim, the Israelites turn away from him time and again. They reject Yahweh's compassion and instead give their allegiance to other gods. And rather than showing compassion to each other, they do violence. And their rebellion results in exile and they're scattered among the nations. And it's in this dark moment in Israel's story that we come to the book of Isaiah where Yahweh compares himself to a mother full of rachamim toward her baby. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child or have no compassion or rachamim on the child of her womb? Even if she forgets, I will not forget you. God is full of motherly compassion and he will rescue his people. And as you read further in Isaiah, you realize that God is going to do this by entering into the suffering of humanity. And this points forward to a time when Jesus comes on the scene. He is Yahweh's deep compassion become human. In Greek, the word compassion is oiktirmos. And as Jesus embraces the sick and cares for the outcast, he is deeply moved by human suffering. Jesus compares himself to a mother hen using her wings to shield her chicks from danger as he gathers people into his embrace. And in the ultimate expression of oiktirmas, Jesus is moved by compassion to enter into humanity's suffering, into death itself, to rescue and bring us near to God. And it's this same life of compassion that Jesus calls his followers to imitate, allowing ourselves to be moved by the pain of others, to embrace the hurting, and to participate in relieving suffering in the world. In this way, we too can embody the compassion of Yahweh, or in Jesus's words, be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Now you can see how fitting it is that compassionate is the first word God uses to describe himself. So when we're in pain or see others suffering, we can be certain that God is deeply moved to respond and that he's there to meet us with his deep compassion. Um, yeah, so... Rahum and the womb, you know, I just, I just um, had a new grandbaby born last week. And while my daughter-in-law was carrying that baby, you know, I, I'm thinking about that baby and 
there was some, some stuff that happened that was a little bit scary. And I remember saying to her, you know, your baby is in the safest place it will ever be. You know, when they're in the womb, there's, they're so protected. There's so much about the womb that protects that baby. It nourishes the baby. And WebMD says this. It says, the research studies that fetal development, the, um, that studies fetal development says that the stimuli that your baby naturally receives in the womb from your everyday conversations and activities are good enough to prepare the baby for the outside world. And, and I think, you know, God is a God of compassion. And they picked that word, rahum, because when we're in God, he takes care of us and he prepares us for the outside world. So what he wants to do for us is get us ready to do what he's called us to do. And, and you guys, some of you have heard me before, and I am a lover of finding definitions. So I want to start with the word compassion in our dictionary. Good old Webster. And compassion, and I'm in, I work in a school, and in, in one of the classes we're in, they do a lot of prefixes and suffixes. So once you learn the prefix and the suffix, you can often figure out what a word means. Well, if you know C-O-M or co or come means with, so with what? Well, with passion. So what does passion mean? Well, in Webster's, the very first definition of passion is describing Jesus' death, death. From the Last Supper to his death is called the passion, that period of time. That is what Webster's lists as the first definition. But it's also an emotion, an intense feeling, or even an outbreak of anger. That's what an emotion does with passion. But it's also ardent affection, which is love, desire, and devotion. Those describe what passion is like. So when we think of what God is like, God is full of passion for his people, passion for you and for me. Compassion is described as a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. It's not pity. I can see somebody in trouble and have pity or feel sorry for them. That is not compassion. Compassion means you are moved to do something. You want to fix it. You want to help them. You want to bring them out of their distress. A lot of times you can learn about a word by understanding what the antonym is, which is the opposite. The opposite of compassion is cold-hearted, callous, heartless. God is not cold-hearted. He is not callous. And he is not heartless. Whatever you've learned in your lifetime, he is not those things. He is compassionate to you. 
in the Old Testament, as we, we learned, he is the God of compassion. And what's interesting is when we, when, we, um, when we find out that God made us in creation, in Genesis 1:27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In his image, this compassion that he has is inside us. He made us to be like him. Anybody ever get angry? God gets angry. Anybody ever love? God is God of love. That comes from him. We are made in his image. In Isaiah, as the video described, it talks about um, in 49, 15 through 16, it says, God, he's talking about God. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. Your name is engraved in God's hand. He does not forget you. You know, when I think about that, I think about a mother. And again, my, my daughter-in-law is nursing her baby. And it reminded me of the, one, of the, one of the times. Okay, so I have several children, so I don't remember which kid it was. But all the nursing moms who, are, who have ever nursed, you know that first trip away without your baby. It's like, oh. So I, I must have been going to the grocery. I went to the grocery store. I must have been for a short trip because I did not bring my child with me. And I was in the grocery store, pushing my cart, and I heard a baby cry. Not my baby, because she wasn't there with me or he, but my body responded. I'm not going to get more graphic than that. My <laughs> body responded to that baby. God responds to you. That's compassion. I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop it. My body responded because that's who God is. In Psalm 103, God is, um, the psalmist is talking about God as a father. He says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're not perfect. And he has compassion on us when we fall and make mistakes. I, I, <laughs> I shared this story. I was, and my daughter confirmed it. So Rachel, my, my lovely Rachel. So I, she was being punished because she had done something wrong and she was in her bedroom. So I was still upset with her and she was in her timeout. And I, she said what she was doing, and I didn't know this until just the other day. She said what she was doing was she knew she was in trouble, so she was trying to make me something. And she had, yes, awe, but I didn't know that, right? So I'm still mad. And um, she stuck her hand in this vase to, like, clean it out or something, and it broke. And so she comes running out, and she had slit her finger. Now, here I am angry. What do I do? I ran and scooped her up. 
I took her to the hospital and whatever transgression she had done was forgotten by me. Now, many of us think of God as being not caring. What would that look like for me? My daughter comes out with her hand bleeding. I'm like, well, that's what you get. Shouldn't have been doing that. I couldn't do that. This was my child, and she was hurting. I had to respond. I'm made in God's image. God responds to us when we're hurting. In the Old Testament, as we learned, the word is rahum. And in Nehemiah, it talks about this. And and I want to just paint you a picture. So we have Moses finding out about who God is. And then we have a period of time where the Israelites have judges and then they have kings and then things are really bad, okay? There's the place that God gave them is all destroyed. Jerusalem is a mess. And Nehemiah and Ezra describe for us where um, the temple is rebuilt and then the walls around the city are rebuilt and then they read the law. They read what God has done for them. And in... in um, in this passage, Nehemiah, the people respond and they say this. They, they're, they're repentant and then they recount what happened in Judges. And they say, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them because they had made mistakes and so God delivered them to their enemies. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great rahum, your compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as you, they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time, after time. How many times have you messed up? God is compassionate, not just the first time, every time. In Second Chronicles, it, it, it talks about the, um, we're, we're talking about the kings, especially the Davidic line, the kings who followed in David, you know, after David. And it says, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. Why would he send the prophets to warn them? Because he had compassion on the people and his temple. They're making mistakes. He doesn't write them off. He has compassion. He says, I'm going to pick a prophet. I'm going to go send them so that they can be redeemed again. They can come back to me. It's his compassion that drives him. That's the God we serve. Yes, he is just. But as Peter shared, he's slow to anger. And his loving kindness extends. He is compassionate. I'm behind on my slide. Okay. And then we go to the New Testament. And uh, in the Greek, there are a couple of words for compassion. One was oiktirmos, 
and we see oiktirmos actually means your bowels yearn. In here, you, you want to do something. That, have you ever been moved, like in your gut, like so far deep, you got to do something? That yearning is oiktirmos. And Jesus does it. He does it when he sees people. Jesus had compassion on people. In Matthew 20, there's two blind men calling out for Jesus. Jesus is walking along. He's got a crowd with him. There's these two blind men yelling for Jesus. The crowd is like, be quiet, be quiet. And Jesus turns and says, what do you want? And, and they respond, we want to see. And Jesus restores their sight. Why did he do that? Because of his compassion, his oiktirmos. In, in Matthew 15, it's the story of the, the crowd that is with Jesus. And they've been with him for three days. And he turns to his disciples and he says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, for they may collapse on their way. His compassion compelled them to feed them. He cares about your physical hunger. And then in Luke 7, 13, there's a funeral procession coming. And as they approach the village gate, Jesus sees that there's a young man has died and his mother is a widow. And in those days, a widow without someone to take care of her, no husband, no children, it's just bad. They're destitute. There is no welfare. There's no safety net. And Jesus sees this widow and has compassion for her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion and says, don't cry. And he raises him from the dead because of the compassion he had for the widow. And the, he also has compassion on the, law, the spiritually lost. Jesus is in a boat with his followers, maybe trying to get away from the crowd. He lands on the shore and he sees this big crowd of people. And it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. His compassion for them, having no understanding, not really understanding the scriptures. He's like, I'm going to teach these people. And he also has compassion on the sinners. And so... In Luke 19, we hear the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody know the story of Zacchaeus? So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, all right? So tax collectors in that time were not, not looked upon like, kindly. The, they, Rome had uh, enacted a tax and said, we need the Jews to all pay taxes, the Jews didn't want to even be under Rome's rule. They definitely didn't want to pay taxes to them. And the tax collectors were Jewish people, but they often got rich by adding a little extra tax. So they were not liked people. They were doing stuff wrong. Maybe. 
So in, in this account, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we got to, he points out that the man was wealthy for a reason. So he wasn't liked. And he said he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. One commentator I read, was reading, he said, can you imagine, think of the most prestigious person you know. Now make them shorter and then watch them climb a tree. Okay, so I imagine, you know, I imagine somebody in a suit, you know, in a tie, scrambling up this tree. Like, how desperately did he want to see Jesus, right? And when Jesus reached the spot that Zacchaeus is in this tree, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. He had compassion for this sinner. Who in here is a sinner? He has compassion on you and on me. He was so, Zacchaeus was so affected by that encounter with Jesus that he says, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus responds, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, his compassion moves him to do things for each person. So what's our response? Oh, there, there's Zacchaeus, sorry. Um, <laughs> so what's our response? I was talking with my sister a couple weeks ago about a situation and this person, and, and I said, yeah, I, um, I have no compassion for them because I was getting ready to teach. And I said, why is it that I end up having these things when, when I have to teach about it? <laughs> and she said, yeah, what do you do when you don't have compassion? Well, this is what I think. This is me. I think we have to respond the way Jesus responded. I think we have to respond the way God responds. Jesus, or God sees us outside of time. He sees us through the eyes of love. <clears throat> and in, in Philippians, we can find how we should respond to people. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now this passage is Paul talking to the church. But he also said we need to love others. And for me, seeing you guys, who I do love, and, and I believe love me, 
it's a little easier to have compassion for you. But what about that person that drives you nuts at work? What about the family member that you're estranged from because they just can't behave? What about you, you fill in the blank? Can you have compassion on them? Can you do this for them? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Looking at someone's behavior without understanding where it might come from doesn't help you to love them or have compassion for them. If you know me, I will often play devil's advocate when somebody says, well, so-and-so, and I'm like, maybe they had a hard time. Not always, because there are people I don't have compassion for, but <laughs> I try, I'm trying, I'm trying. But have you been that advocate because you know the backstory? Have you been the advocate of a family or a friend or a child or a whoever because you know the backstory? Guess what? Everyone has a backstory. Every one of us has a backstory. So, who can you have compassion for? Who do you need to figure out how to have compassion for? Not pity and not feeling sorry for, but move to action. That action doesn't mean controlling for all the moms in the house. This is very difficult because I want to fix my kid's life and control them, and that doesn't work. How can I have compassion on them, that person, and be moved to pray for them? Be moved to defend them. Be moved to reach out to them. How can you have compassion on the homeless guy that you pass by every day? Well, maybe he's not, maybe he's just a, he's not really homeless. But do you know? Can you still have compassion? Can you be moved to pray for them? God does, and Jesus would. We are called to do what Jesus did. We are called to learn how to receive the compassion that God has for you. That's where it starts. It starts with understanding, reshaping your focus, your view of God. God is compassionate. Regardless of how you feel he is, he is. The Bible is true, and it says he is. God loves you, and he has compassion for you. Receive that truth, believe it, 
do your own study about it, start to resonate with that. Because the only way you can become like Jesus is to believe who God really is. And it starts with this, slow to anger, loving faithfulness, gracious, compassionate. That's who God is. God is compassionate. And when we have an understanding of who God is, then we can step into doing what Jesus did and extending a hand to those around us, pouring out compassion on those around us. And that's when people will see Jesus in you.